This podcast was recorded Thursday, December 28th at 10 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Yeah, like the 2024 presidential election year will be like any normal election year, free from any unusual drama. Yeah, don't bet on it. Let's talk politics. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and all those Snollygosters, those shrewd politicians who make New Year's resolutions that are really easy to keep. I'm Mike Thompson. Coming up in the podcast, our Snollygoster of the Year Award. But first, as we look forward to the start of 2024 and all that it will bring, this week we're going to look back at 2023. And as politics go... The past 12 months were pretty incredible here in Ohio. Here's what happened. The former Speaker of the House, Larry Householder, a man who lived large in state politics for two decades, was sent to prison for 20 years. Ohioans, in essence, voted twice to put abortion rights in the Constitution. Once in August, when abortion rights opponents tried to make it harder to change the Constitution, and again in November, when the actual abortion question was on the ballot. And, don't forget, Ohioans legalized marijuana for fun. And as the year turns, the abortion rights and legal marijuana stories are far from over. So this week on Snollygoster, we will borrow WOSU-TV's weekly political show, Columbus on the Record, where I and the panel reflected on 2023. I am joined by WOSU Radio's Anna Staver, the USA Today Ohio Network's Laura Bischoff, Attorney Joseph Moss, a Democrat who was a member of the Ohio Hispanic Coalition, and former Franklin County Prosecutor Mike Miller, a longtime strong and thoughtful conservative in central Ohio. We begin with a discussion on abortion rights. With abortion rights secured in the Constitution, it will be up to the courts and likely lawmakers to guide how those rights will be protected or restricted in the years to come. Anastavra, the question now is the so-called heartbeat law. It has been on hold for about a year. This is the six-week ban, but it will face a, a court decision early in 24. Yeah, the Supreme Court decided not to take up two side issues. So this was something, so when it got to the Ohio Supreme Court, it wasn't about whether the heartbeat bill was legal. It was about whether abortion uh, clinics had the right to sue, so standing, which is the legal term for right to sue. And it was also about whether it could be appealed straight to the Supreme Court. Now, Attorney General Dave Yost said, hey, I really think you guys should look at this. They said no. It went back to the Hamilton County Court where we expect it will almost certainly be found unconstitutional. Even Dave Yost has said, based on the new amendment, this law isn't legal. So if we take a step back, I mean, we have to go back almost to 22 when the Dobbs decision overturned Roe, but could abortion rights opponents, Mike, could they have done anything different in the past year to either prevent that amendment from passing or have restrictions that are more onerous than what that amendment allows? Well, uh, Mike, I think it would have passed, as I, as I told you, I think before, that I thought it would go at least 55%. I guess it ended up 57 But could they have done anything to stop the passage? I'm not sure. Could they have given themselves a better chance? Yes, they could have. And I think the uh, rape and incest thing is just, you know, right there. It's just, to me, when you uh, deny a person the right to an abortion under those circumstances, 
it's, uh, I don't know if anybody goes along with it, except maybe the people that wrote the bill. Laura, did lawmakers underestimate public opinion on this? Were they not believing the polls? Because the polls have been pretty consistent even before Roe was overturned. It was 55-45 in favor of abortion rights with restrictions. I mean, I think that's why they did issue one in August was because they knew it would pass in the high to mid 50, mid to high 50s, yeah. and they wanted to make it, you know, move the bar up. And uh, so I think that they knew that was coming. Um, I do think, you know, hindsight being 2020, they probably could have um, passed another law that's, again, has an exception for rape and incest. Maybe it was a 15-week ban, um, and I think that would have taken the wind out of the sails of the pro-issue one folks. But they couldn't do that. The Republicans in control of our, the House and, and the Senate here in Ohio get trapped. And they get trapped for the same reason that they get trapped in, in, in topics that we've discussed uh, in this group over the years, and that is be, because gerrymandering has distilled the support that they need from their base from the hardened base. So there was no way that they could do something like, like Laura suggested. But yes, that would have done it. But even Governor DeWine was saying that the majority of opinions, majority of Ohioans, don't agree with the Roe decision. Did, you know? But 57 percent said yes, 14-point margin. Do we expect this to go back on the ballot anytime soon? There was talk of that right after the vote when the motions were high. You know? Yeah, I think maybe. So the argument that I've heard from Republicans now is they think that this amendment, as it was written, the argument they've been making all along, that it was too broad, that it would allow all kinds of abortions and perhaps things beyond abortion that Ohioans didn't intend. So I think they're kind of, I don't know, they're making this assumption that maybe Ohioans won't like the way this amendment plays out, and then maybe there will be an opening to come back with something more restrictive in the future. And Mike, if those things don't happen, it's it's going to be hard to, to roll this amendment back. Well, I think it's hard anyway, Mike. I mean, you look across the country. Now, I, I don't know the, the bills are all different, but, uh, you know, what was it Oklahoma we had one of the first ones out? Kansas. Kansas, Kansas you know, a solid Midwestern yeah. conservative state. And, uh, you know, they, they affirmed uh, having the right to an abortion. Again, it was somewhere in the 55-45, which is, you know, a pretty wide margin. So I don't see anything happening in the near future. The issue one... Uh, you know, the first issue one, yeah. the one that would have required a 60% threshold to pass a constitutional amendment. And then we had the issue one in November, which was the abortion rights amendment. Laura, do you think the issue, how did that issue, the first issue one play? Did it exhaust abortion rights opponents coming into November? And did it just fire up abortion rights supporters that carried on to November? I think that it... Um they, they kind of kicked the hornet's nest with that in the, the August one. People turned out in huge numbers for, for, an, for an August election. I mean, my gosh, they got rid of August elections because the turnout had been so low in previous elections. And I think that, um, I think that it fired up both sides for the November vote. But the polling showed that really the, the yes, we want this, we want these rights was much stronger. So, Joe, what do you think lawmakers do now? Because we still have the 24-hour waiting period. We still have the mandatory transfer agreements where clinics have to have an agreement with a hospital That's for right. emergencies. And we still have the parental consent part That's of the right. law. That's right. 
Do lawmakers tinker with any of that, or they'll be up to the courts, do you think? I think that'll be up to the courts. And I, I was thinking about that just over the last couple of days. How much room is there within the system for the uh, abortion op opponents or those that don't like this particular version of it to navigate? And I, I think the, the parental consent, or at least parental information, uh, will definitely be, be, be something that you were not going to get a lot of pushback uh, on. The stuff on the on the clinics and uh, being able for the doctors to, to be, I forget what the term is, registered in a hospital and all that, I think those actually will fall. But I think the courts are going to be the ones that will deal with it. Do you th Anna, do you think this debate calms down? Because it's been such a polarizing debate, but now the voters have had their say. Even Mike Anadakis from Higher Right to Life on the show last week said now they're going to focus on keeping the laws they have, but also work on changing hearts and mind and trying to try to encourage women to keep babies through term, through support prenatal care, and then support after birth. Do you think that's where the this argument goes now, this debate goes? I actually think if they did a uh, legislative repeal, it would be one and done, whereas all these laws are going to be litigated individually, right? Mm -hmm. So 24-hour rating periods, mandatory ultrasounds, um, you know, there's a bunch of information that doctors are required to give a woman if she's seeking an abortion. And I actually think we're going to get news stories each and every time one of those gets a decision. And if you did it legislatively, theoretically, you could do it all at once, and that would be the story, and then you just move on. Will this debate move on, Mike? Do you think we'll, well get beyond this as a society? I don't think it'll ever die, Mike. I mean, it's like you know the, the death penalty. My whole life, it's been a mm -hmm. debate, and and this, in a way, is a similar thing. Yeah. So people are entrenched one way, and uh, I think it's going to go on for a long time. But do I see any change in the near future? No, I don't. All right. If Ohioans are so inclined, they can put marijuana gummies in Christmas stockings this year legally. Voters legalized recreational marijuana in November. The law took effect earlier this month. Now it is up to lawmakers to change the law if they want. The year ends, however, with the law standing unchanged from what voters approved in November. Joe Moss, a year from now, will Ohio look a lot different? Will it smell a lot different than it does now with legal marijuana? I actually can answer that because I've traveled to California, to Colorado, and spent a lot of time in Michigan and no it won't smell any differently quite frankly you can't you can't really tell the difference in, in being in those states you can and, and one thing in common by the way is the, the the issue that has been in the papers lately and that is being able to smoke in public places none of those states allow it so more than likely that's going to be part of what we do I anticipate and, and of course there was a Senate bill that did pass the Senate here in Ohio but got stuck in the in the house uh, that uh, was relatively uh, normal if I may use the the term normal, no pun intended no, the, yes. what the national organization whatever it is yeah. so legalizing marijuana laws. yes yes uh, Laura again lawmakers did they misread the public opinion on this and not at for two years we've been talking about legalizing recreational marijuana lawmakers. We've been talking about it longer than that. I mean, I mean in, since medical became legal, really, we started talking about it a lot. Sure, I mean, you know, they they legalized medical after the 2015 yeah. um, medical and recreational failed because of kind of structural problems with that, and I think that that prompted the lawmakers to say, let's do a robust medical program and maybe that'll take care of this. It did not. I mean, the the demand for recreational is still there. They could have, um, you know, 
tapered the law to how they felt was going to be the, the best package, et cetera, when it was sitting in front of them for four months. They decided not to. They decided to roll the dice, see how the voters came out with it, and now they're trying to make those changes. And it's not going over very well. Yeah. How does law enforcement, Mike, how do they, how do they view this now? Do they, does, it feel, does their burden lift off of, lift, not that they were really aggressively going after marijuana folks lately anyway. They, early on they did, but not in the past decade or so. Is this a burden off of their plate and they can focus on other things now or no? I don't think so, uh, Mike. As you say, I don't think they paid much attention to it. It's been a minor misdemeanor or something, which is, you know, nothing like a speeding ticket or maybe less than that. Uh, and so I don't think this is going to remove a lot of their work. It's not necessary anymore. Uh, may even help them a little bit. I, I think the only thing you'll see is probably you'll see some more expense and time on uh, driving under the influence mm -hmm. because it's a much more difficult and much more a deeper process to test somebody for use of drugs than it is for alcohol. That's pretty simple. So I think you'll see more than that. Other than that, I don't think there's a problem with law enforcement. And now we get into the rulemaking phase and how quickly the medical dispensaries can start selling marijuana mm -hmm. to everybody over 21. Mike DeWine mentioned that, uh, Governor DeWine mentioned that had they gone with this bill, we could be buying marijuana in January for fun. Yeah. I'm not sure that's, that would have happened, but that's what he said anyway. Yeah, he had some concerns about the black market, right? Mm -hmm. And now that marijuana is legal, whether people would be more inclined to purchase it and use it. And he had concerns about, obviously, the, the potency, the quality, what you're getting, because you don't really know if something else is mixed in. Uh, so he offered uh, immediate sales at... Um, marijuana, medical marijuana dispensaries, but the House didn't pick that up. They said they still got time. Theoretically, it's next August, probably next fall, that we'll be seeing recreational sales once the licensing works through, but it is possible that it could come sooner. Do we, do we expect, Laura, any, any big changes to this law and when the lawmakers come back after the new year? Um, I think that the House and the Senate are still at odds over this, and I think that um, the longer we get into the current situation, which is that it's legal and people are allowed to plant their plants and bake their brownies. Uh, I think it makes it more difficult to um, change the law later. Now, bars, there was a Department of Commerce who regulates uh, bars and liquor licenses. They advise bars that you can't have your, pa your patrons smoking, even on the patio, smoking marijuana. Is that the is that and the case pull, in, in they Michigan? They pull the license. Michigan, yeah, yeah, that's correct. No, so, I think I don't think they're going to get much uh, pushback on that. I I, I think it's a reasonable uh, provision. Uh, as I said, the other states have it, and they've been able to navigate through it without a problem. So no. It's like open container, right? I mean, you can't walk yeah. down most streets with a with an open. There well, there are doors where there's little signs saying you can drink here, but then you got to, yes. you know, right. dump it out when you get past this sign. You know we. We went through a period uh, long before marijuana with s smoking cigarettes. Yeah. And uh, some restaurants would say no smoking. Some I know would say, uh, do you prefer smoking or non-smoking? They would split it up. <laughs> so I, I don't think this is going to be much of a problem for anybody. And, and uh, the bar owners or, or restaurant owners will be very careful with it because paying a fine and losing your uh, license is, is a very, very serious matter. The smoker, nothing happens to him, I don't think, or her. Of course, smoking is easy to spot. Popping a gummy, you know, it could just be a throat lozenger. That's you know? right. You don't know.
Anyway, it's now a three-month sprint to the primary finish for Republicans running for U.S. Senate. The three major candidates have all filed their paperwork. They are State Senator Matt Dolan, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and Cleveland businessman Bernie Marino. Two of those three had been angling for the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. And this week, Trump chose Bernie Marino, announcing on Truth Social that Ohio needs an outsider to beat Sherrod Brown. Mike Miller, does this clinch it for Bernie Marino? Do Ohio Republicans see this endorsement and then fall in line like they kind of did with J.D. Vance? Well, I think it certainly helps uh, Marino a great deal. Uh, does it clinch it? No, I don't think so. Uh, LaRose has always been, as you we know, very pro-Trump. He wanted the endorsement in the worst way, which we understand it carries weight in Ohio. But Dolan is sitting there uh, not doing that and is very conservative on his own right. I think there'll be a lot of people that are Trump-type people that will split between Marino and LaRose. I suppose Marino would get the most. And a lot of never-Trumpers will coalesce around uh, Dolan. So I, I don't think it's, it's over yet by any means. And, and everybody, Dolan and uh, Marino, are very wealthy and can uh, put a lot of money into it. And now we've got uh, uh, LaRose that just got, or, yeah, LaRose that just got a $3 million donation. So it looks like everybody's going to have some money. Yeah, Anna, that donation came from Richard Uline from Illinois, I believe. He also does business in Wisconsin. He's the guy who gave a lot of money to the first Issue 1 campaign, the 60% threshold. And that's a shot in the arm for Frank LaRose after the disappointing non-endorsement. Yeah, but I mean, also keep in mind, I think uh, Bernie's got about five million and Dolan's got about six. So it's still half of what the other guys have. And, you know, Matt Dolan's family owns the Cleveland Guardians. For folks who don't know, mm -hmm. Bernie Moreno has a bunch of car dealerships. He also is a multimillionaire. So, like, they can just keep dumping and dumping. And that's their choice. Uh, but he was... Uh, I spaced on his name, Frank LaRose, yes. ha! Frank LaRose is always <laughs> gonna be outspent, right? And this has always been a larger question, whether he could fundraise, because let's be honest, Sherrod Brown is gonna have a ton of money come November, and you're gonna need a Republican that can really raise the money. Three million dollars, it's, it's, it's only three months till the March primary, so three million dollars could get Frank LaRose on the air enough to at least keep pace with Bernie Moreno, right? And, and, and right, and then also keep in mind that Frank LaRose has been elected statewide yeah. twice. Um, Moreno and, uh, and uh, Dolan have not. So he has an advantage on that level. So maybe he doesn't need as much money to get his name out there. His, his name's already been on the ballot. The polls are kind of inconclusive. Of course, we're not really getting true poll numbers. We're hearing about internal polls showing Bernie Marino ahead. We have a, a Survey USA poll that has Frank LaRose ahead, but there's questions on the methodology there. So we really don't have a good solid gauge of where this race stands right now. Well, I think the interesting thing is what direction is LaRose going to take? Now that Trump has made his announcement, does that mean that LaRose has the opportunity, I think as, as Mike implied, to perhaps carve his own path? Or is he still trying to reach out to the Trump base or do what everybody else is doing, which is trying not to offend Trump very much, but still sound Trumpian? No, we have a long time to go before even March. But, I mean, the bad news keeps piling up for Donald Trump. And so far, Mike, he's been able to weather it. And, and among his base, his support sort of coalesces. But if he goes on trial and or if this Colorado Supreme Court ruling stands and this, this further chinks in that armor, might that not make that endorsement as valuable? 
Well, it might. Uh, I, I doubt it. It's it just, it's a, Trump is a different type of person. His supporters seem to be wedded to him regardless. And I point to an incident, uh, you know, in 2016 when he was running and uh, he attacked for no reason. I mean, no one had said anything. He just came down and attacked John McCain. And, and I, I, I don't know a Democrat that dislikes John McCain. Yeah. I mean, he's a war hero. He was a wonderful person. He all this sort of thing. And I thought watching this, well, that, he's going right down the tubes. They did a poll about two days later and he went up. Yeah. So it just to me, I've just never seen anything quite like it. But and you look at the polls in New Hampshire, and we don't know yet because it's going to happen after the first of the year. New Hampshire, Iowa, Nikki Haley coming up a bit. Ron DeSantis, you know, still there. If she, if they, if they overperform, that could perhaps break yeah. some never Trumpers off. It's entirely possible. Um, didn't Ted Cruz win Iowa in 2016? Or yeah, I yes, believe, I believe so. He did. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes you never know. You can get, Iowa does the caucus system yeah. where you go and fight it out in person in like classrooms across the state. So you never quite know how that's gonna shake out. Yeah. It's kind of a wild process, but I would be really surprised if Ohio didn't go for Trump. I mean, I think, you know, we were one of the first state parties to endorse him. He still has, you know, eight, nine, 10 point leads in polling. Uh, and I think that's, you know, problematic for LaRose because Trump's gonna be on the ballot right next to him. And I, you know, J.D. Vance has also endorsed Bernie Moreno. If the three of them get together and campaign together in February and March, that's gonna be hard. Yeah. All right, let's get to our last topic. 2023 saw a federal jury convict former House Speaker Larry Householder and lobbyist Matt Borges on racketeering charges in the nuclear plant bailout scandal. They now live in federal prison. This month, the state's former chief utility regulator was indicted for bribery in that same case. Sam Randazzo has pleaded not guilty. We enter 2024 waiting to see if others will be charged, namely executives at First Energy, the company that says it bribed Sam Randazzo. Laura Bischoff, the trials, if there's a trial with Sam Randazzo, that's not, probably not going to happen in 24. But do you think next year will be the end of the investigation in this case and all that will be charged will be charged by the end of next year, 24? You know, um, I would say yes, but it's the federal system and it yeah. seems like they move at a glacier pace. I mean, it took two and a half years between the time that they arrested and indicted um, Matt, Matt Borges and Larry Householder and the others uh, to take them to trial. Um, I think probably the Randazzo one will move a little bit more quickly, but it also depends on you know, if they're going to indict other people, are they going to do a superseding indictment and add them to the Randazzo indictment? Are they going to do it separately? Um, I don't know what their strategies are. Ken Parker, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District, says that his team is still working on the case and they're going to go wherever the evidence takes them. Mike, how will this play out, do you believe, in the next six months? Do you, do you see the first energy executives being charged or perhaps working out a plea deal? Well... Not only do I see that, Mike, it may have taken place a year ago. In the federal courts, you can enter a plea, they can seal everything. And so you'll have people that have pled to this thing, they haven't been sentenced, of course, that no one knows about. Hmm. And uh, when you've got the people from First Energy, if you accept what they say is accurate, saying, you know, we did the bribing, I don't know how you can avoid not charging those people. And... Uh, as I say, I would be a bit surprised if it's already done and they're just awaiting sentencing. But the plea has been sealed from the public for obvious reasons. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, the, and these federal cases, as Mike just suggested, you want to be first in line. Uh, you don't necessarily want to start saying, oh, you know, I really didn't do this, and then have uh, Randazzo, uh, as part of some sort of a plea deal, say, oh, you know, this guy was involved, and he was involved in this particular way. Uh, you want to be upfront uh, with it. The system that led to all this remains in place. There's been talk about reforming things at the state house hasn't gone anywhere. House Bill 6 is still in effect. The coal plants that got subsidies, they still get them. Uh, the nuclear, no, the renewable energy mandates are gone, Anna. Do we, is dark money and money still going to play a, as big a role as it has going forward? I would forward? assume so. I mean, there's nothing that's changed, legally speaking, about how we collected it. You know, one of the fascinating things about the trial was just getting to see all of that money and how it was funneled and where it went, because you don't get to see that as a reporter or as a, you know, just a, even politicians were sort of flabbergasted at the, like, behind-the-scenes look at how it's all getting funneled in all these different places. Uh, but unfortunately, the legislature hasn't, like, there's been a number of bills introduced. I, I will say that. There's been a number of different pieces of legislation introduced, but they have not gone anywhere. Now, Laura, you were in the courtroom when Householder was sentenced and led immediately away to prison. If I'm a state, of course, it wasn't on TV, but if you're a state house person and you, you see that, you hear that, wouldn't that prompt you? This Larry Householder, the, one of the dominant figures in this state house for a long time, is in jail now. I mean, I saw it live yeah. in person, uh, just feet away, and I was flabbergasted. I mean, yeah. this is a guy I'd covered for 20 years. Um, I think that the message obviously got conveyed via the media. People read the stories. But I think people could say, you know, that was Larry Householder, and he, he went way over the line uh, into pay-to-play, and I'm using a dark money group, but I'm following the, the laws on it. I'm not doing quid pro quo. So um, he's a cautionary tale, but I think people could say, that's not my tale. That's not what I'm doing. Joe, you don't see any big reforms coming on f campaign financing in Ohio, more, more transparency? Oh, no. 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 I, I, don't, I, just, I just don't think so. I think... Uh, we we, we don't have now. the dynamics yeah. Yeah. To, to be able to get that done. No dynamics that fix the undue influence money has on politics or at least make such donations more transparent. Maybe the next scandal will force change. My thanks to the Columbus on the Record panel, WOSU's Anna Staver, USA Today Ohio's Laura Bischoff, and attorneys Joseph Maas and Mike Miller. We'll be right back. Think of all the things you can do in 10 minutes or less. Scroll through social media, check your bank balance, make a sandwich, or learn about the surprising economics behind all these things. The Indicator from Planet Money is a quick hit of insight into the economics of business, work, and everyday life. Every weekday in less than 10 minutes. Listen now to the Indicator podcast from NPR. Time now for our Snodigoster of the Week segment, where we honor the shrewdest politician or political move of the week. And given it's our last episode of the year, we have to honor our Snollygoster of the year. Lots of nominees this year, Frank LaRose for denouncing August elections and then leading the August charge to change the Constitution at the ballot box. Democrats on the redistricting commission, they deserve some consideration for denouncing the latest legislative maps as unfairly gerrymandered, then voting for the maps anyway. But when you go to federal prison for engineering the largest bribery scandal in the state's history, it's hard to deny you the title. Our Snollygoster of the Year award goes to former House Speaker 
Larry Householder. That'll do it for this week's edition of Snollygoster, which is part of the NPR network. As always, please be sure to leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, and just tell your friends about us. For our digital producer, Nick Hauser, I'm Mike Thompson for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media. Music